Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I'm John Ledyard on the Pewter Report podcast from PewterReport.com with my friend Paul Atwell, also at PewterReport.com. We had a lot of things lined up for today's show, and we're going to talk about all of them, Paul. But first, we're going to talk about OBJ going to the LA Rams, apparently, and we'll even talk about how that came about and a little bit of how that news was broke today because it's been a very interesting ride on these Twitter streets. But first, man, how are you? We didn't have a game day broadcast uh, because of the bye week, so I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, pretty good. Just uh, been enjoying the the time away from football a little bit, kind mm-hmm. of getting re-energized and re- getting excited again for uh, for some Bucks football. How about yeah, you? Yeah, last back nine of the season is coming up and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I... Can't say that I've relaxed very much, uh, but but here we are. We're pushing ahead, and uh, we're going into the the final stretch of the second half of this season. And the Rams are going to do it with Odell Beckham Jr. It looks like I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of Bucks fans wanted OBJ uh, coming over to the Tampa Bay. Uh, that was never really going to happen. But Bruce Aarons kind of said yesterday that they never really even considered that, and I don't really think that they should have either. We could talk about that, uh, our opinions on that, but. First, Beckham with the Rams. Do you feel like, you know, him basically we're saying Beckham greater than Van Jefferson feels like a pretty safe bet, even if he doesn't, even though Van's a good player, uh, even if OBJ doesn't get back to maybe where he once was in his career, um, feels like a pretty good bet that he's going to be better than, you know, what they had at the wide receiver three before this. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And just historically, McVay has always been an 11 personnel guy. So having that third really good receiver is is pretty huge for them. Or you yeah. know, it's certainly a plus, and they'll use they'll use him well. Um, it's obvious, you know, there's no way he's getting past that number three spot in that depth chart with just how good Cup and Woods are and how acclimated they are in the system. But I think it'll be interesting, and I'm guessing they'll ease him in probably. Right? I think Van Jefferson will still get plenty of snaps as OBJ learns the system, yep. the terminology. I don't think he's ever, uh, I guess there's some overlap with the Stefanski system and the McVeigh stuff. Uh, just, I think, cause it goes, I think Stefanski is part of the Kubiak tree, right? And then there's some overlap with the Shanahan tree that. Correct. So anyway, yeah. I don't know how different their terminology is, but uh, I'm sure it'll take him a while to get up to speed. But by the way, I didn't even know that the Rams were really in the running. I thought they it were. Was, yeah. <laughs> or so, we didn't know they were, I should say. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm not the only one. Yeah, no, yeah, it was okay. it was pretty it was pretty quiet. It was like Seattle, New England, Green Bay, Kansas City. I mean, those were the teams that everybody was talking about, um, and the Saints, obviously. And but somebody did say six teams last night, and that's only five. So Rams were probably that mystery six team. It seems like um, probably should have seen that coming um, for people who are in that you know breaking news side of things. Um, yeah. I um I think it's a good move for them. Obviously, there's no doubt. Da- to whoever got Odell Beckham at this point for that call, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be extremely cheap. Um, it was a no-brainer. Like, I mean, yeah. you're you're renting him for extremely cheap, and if he he's clearly not been the same OBJ. I don't care what anybody says. He's not been the same OBJ over the last few years. Um, it's not been all Baker Mayfield or anything like that. The guys guys dropped a ton of passes. His routes have not been nearly as good. He's not made hardly any dynamic plays down the field. Like when Donovan Peoples Jones is getting in there for the Browns and making plays that you weren't making, it's not, it's not, it's not the, it's not OBJ. Like it's not, or it's not just the Baker Mayfield or whatever, you know, it's, it's some OBJ too. There's a lot of factors more than anything. Could a new environment re-energize him and get him back to that level of player with an emotional guy like that. He's always been a very emotionally charged player I definitely think there's that possibility. There's also the possibility the injuries have zapped him of a lot. Nevertheless, this is clearly a step up for the Rams at wide receiver three. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and so they continue to add pieces. Von Miller, OBJ. It feels like the NFC title game we need, Paul, is Bucks versus Rams. Just think of all the stars that would be on the field for that game. Would be pretty incredible to watch. I mean, I don't know if Bucks fans want that matchup. It's been a tough one tough one for them for the last couple of years right uh yeah but everybody said that about the saints and the chiefs and they did figure things out in the playoffs and did some different things i mean but you're right yeah i mean yeah. it's it's not been a matchup that's gone their way mcveigh has pretty much destroyed todd bulls and yeah. you know, we said that about sean payton and andy Reid. so i don't know that's totally true i mean uh yeah i think it'd be interesting uh it's i 
completely forgot what I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would be, I think it more than anything, it's just like this Rams team that's already super dynamic now has a guy that could, I mean, you think back to Brandon Cooks, but like they've had really good players. OBJ at his best is, you know, obviously better than anybody they have now probably, but that's unlikely to happen. So I'd still expect Cop and Woods to be ahead of him. But it's a factor. You know, you think about all those kind of things when you think about adding a guy like OBJ. You imagine the ceilings. And obviously he wants to be somewhere where he thinks he could sign longer term. And so that probably will be a factor with the Rams as well. So the NFC arms race right now, everybody's loading up and really they're loading up because they see what Tampa Bay is. Uh, Tampa Bay, meanwhile, not as healthy as we'd like them to be. And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But first, Got a shout out to our friends over at Celsius because this they're sponsoring this podcast as they always do. I'm rocking the peach vibe today. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. Zero sugar, still unbelievable taste in these Celsius drinks. If you're looking for an energy drink that's going to give you the boost you need, but not going to drop off, not going to leave you feeling sick or jittery or anything like that, Celsius is the way to go. You can find them at Celsius.com. Uh, you can use the store locator to find out where Celsius are near you. Or you can go to Amazon, use the subscribe and save option. There's a couple other flavors up there. Kifuji apple pear, wild berry, uh, tropical vibe is up there. We got the kiwi guava, the watermelon, orange up there. I mean, it's it's a great, they've got a great array of flavors. So make sure you check them out, celsius.com or at Amazon. Do the subscribe and save option and get Celsius coming to your door on the daily. It's a great way to do it as well. Or weekly or bi-weekly or uh, whatever you want to do. Once a month, I don't care. Um Great options with Celsius. All right, Paul, let's talk about this injury situation with the Bucks. Obviously, you'd like to see the full arsenal of weapons out there. It doesn't feel like we're going to get that for a few more weeks at least. Seems like today on the Pat McAfee show, Ian Rappaport said, Chris Godwin's injury from what he's hearing is not a major injury, not serious. Arians kind of indicated the same thing on SiriusXM NFL radio today or yesterday, last night. He told Tom Pelissaro basically that, OBJ won't practice, or sorry, OBJ, Godwin won't practice Wednesday or Thursday, and then they would evaluate him on Friday to see where he's at. Said it's going to be pretty close, so that indicates maybe they rest him a week, um, but I probably back for the Giants game. Definitely seems like he'll be back for the Colts game, and injured reserve doesn't seem to be on the table for him given that. So um, good news, guess with I guess, with Chris Godwin, but they could be kind of depleted this week against Washington. How do you think that affects them? I think it's huge, especially with, AB already being down. Uh, you think back to last year, there were a couple of games early that Godwin missed and, and the offense really fluttered. They, I mean, obviously there was a lot of other things going on, but I think we, we talk a lot about who's the best receiver on the team. I think Godwin is the least replaceable, regardless of if he's the best. I think he's the hardest to replace in terms of what he does. I know some will point to Tyler Johnson, but I think there's just a massive drop-off. You look at the separation that Godwin creates, it's just not the same with Tyler Johnson. He's just not that dominant force that Godwin is. Um, you know, I think with Evans, like, he's obviously a very unique player, and there's no actual replacing him, but there are certain things that he does that other players do. Like, Scotty Miller does some of the deep threat stuff. AB can do some of that ex-receiver stuff, you know, but there's no one that can actually really fill in for Godwin, in my opinion, and and keep that same level of play. So I'm curious as well. Obviously, uh, Washington doesn't have a great defense, but mm-hmm. it's still going to be a challenge for the Bucks with just how many injuries they have. Yeah, it will be. You know, Washington's pass defense is ranked last in the NFL. And so that is worth – at this point in time, I mean, this is a large sample size that we have. We're halfway through the year. And so we've got eight games to evaluate them by, and it's not been pretty at all for that unit. And obviously Tom Brady tore him up last year when they were um, good. And that was obviously not one of Godwin's best games still though helps to have him out there for sure. Um, it is, it is going to be an important one. Um, you know, Godwin in general though, doesn't seem like it's going to be a concern um, long-term, which is good. Antonio Brown, we'll see. He was out of the boot today, catching on the side a little bit, using the jugs machine, good signs for Antonio Brown. Um, seems like he's moving forward uh, pretty well. Arian said on Sirius XM NFL radio that it was a bone spur, that he, it kind of aggravated a bone spur for him. And he just kind of indicated with his comments about Rob Gronkowski, even like, yeah, we probably aren't going to play him this week. He said um, next week might seem like a safer bet for his timetable. But I wouldn't even be surprised if they set him out against the Giants too, Paul, because the reality is that, and Arians kind of said this, he's like, we think Gronk's going to be back to himself in two to three weeks. Like that's where he'll be back to. And that's their goal. Their goal is to get everybody healthy for the stretch run in the Super Bowl. He doesn't want to rush anybody else back. 
He already tried it with Gronk a little bit and it didn't go well. He doesn't want to do that with AB. He doesn't want to do it with Scotty Miller even, I think. So I don't even know if Scotty's going to play uh, on Sunday. Um, if their quarterback was not the best one in the NFL, maybe he would feel like those guys need to be pushed a little more and the playoffs weren't as much of a certainty. But because Brady is who he is, I think there's like, you know, if you give him Evans and, you know, trot out the rest of these guys, you know, they'll, they can put up 28 and, and win the game. Yeah, and I think with Gronk, it makes a lot of sense. You really want him for that playoff run. He, there's no one on the team, no other tight end that blocks the way he does. But there, you can kind of scheme around missing a tight end because you can switch around which personnel packages you're using. You can use less 12 personnel. You can ask for your tight ends to block less often with just the type of concepts you're running. So I don't think that there's a huge need to rush him back and risk re-aggravating that injury. I think they're yeah. probably pretty regretful of how that Saints game went with him playing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to see them make that mistake again. Right. I do think it'll be – I would guess the Colts game for Gronk, and I'd guess the Colts game for A.B. right now. Uh, that's would be That would be my guess. A.B. wouldn't surprise me if it's the Atlanta game. We'll just have to wait and see how that one progresses. So um, can they survive without those guys? Yeah, these aren't very good defenses. Just straight up. These aren't very good teams that they're playing. Straight up. Like, we don't have to pretend like it is. Bucks should win this game without those people. You know, we're not the team. The team shouldn't go into their meeting rooms, and they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't go in and say, well, we'll beat this team with you know, our eyes closed. Sure, they sh- they need to take that approach, but we're the media. Like, we're not the team. We don't have to act like this should be close if Chris Godwin is, doesn't play or Rob Gronkowski doesn't play or Antonio Brown doesn't play. Yeah, it affects things for sure. But you got the best quarterback in the league right now on your team and, and guy playing like the MVP on your team. you got an elite offensive line, and you've certainly got more than enough pieces to overcome a Washington football team that's had their fair share of injuries as well. Uh, they've lost their center, who's one of their best, maybe their best offensive linemen. They've lost Montez Sweat. Uh, both of them are on injured reserve, but one of their better pass rushers. So Washington is hurting well as well. So there's no excuses for the Bucs. You, you need to win the next two games, and then we'll see where you're at going in the Indianapolis game. Also see how Indianapolis is playing. People are like, oh, they're playing better. They're four and five now. Yeah, they've beaten like nobody. So I'm just kind of reserving judgment. Let's see what they do. They have taken the Ravens and Titans to overtime. I will say that. They're definitely playing better. Are they playing good enough? We'll find out, I guess, by the time that one rolls around. But no question. Washington, the Giants, we know who they are. They've been the same, you know, basically. Washington, oh, they made the playoffs last year. They were still a losing team. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that still wasn't a good team. Um, and so we've known who they are for a while. There's no reason why these next two games the Bucs should lose no matter who's – as long as Brady's playing, basically, they should win those games. So let's talk about this Bucks offense, though, Paul. If they have to go miss uh, – we'll go without a couple of key figures. We're going to talk today about – Things that the Bucks offense does well that we've really enjoyed this season that we think are better than last year. Everybody's looking at the bye week and saying, where are they this year compared to last year? I was on a couple of radio shows today. They, I think they both asked me the question, same question, you know, what's better about this year? So in your mind, what's the biggest change? What's the thing that gives you the most confidence when you watch the Bucks offense that they're just in a better place than they were a year ago coming out of their bye? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they definitely are. And I think the biggest thing that jumps out when you watch the tape is how much better they are at pairing concepts to coverages. I've talked about this before, but there were a lot of head scratching play calls last year where it's like, okay, you know what coverage the defense is most likely going to play here based on who they are, based on their tendencies. Why would you call this play concept? This concept is not designed to beat that coverage. What are you doing? (laughs) Whereas this year, when you watch the tape, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. It's just a lot of, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Really well done. Just, you know, it's nothing crazy. There's not these new designs or anything like that. It's just smarter selection. And that's reflected in in the numbers as well. I wrote about going into, uh, going into the season, I wrote about how the Bucks really struggled against middle of the field open coverages, which just Mm -hmm. means two high coverages. Last year, they were amazing against single high. They really struggled against, not really struggled, but like they weren't dominant against too high the way they were against single high. Yeah, that, They've changed that this year. They have figured out how to beat those two high right. coverages. And the main way is to attack the middle of the field, quick underneath stuff. They've done way better with that stuff. And mm-hmm. it's apparent on tape and it's apparent on numbers. And it's really cool to see. That's definitely the biggest yeah. thing with So. I think we saw a graph. It might have been going into last week, or maybe it was coming out of our, our, the Saints game, or coming out of the Saints game. I think it was coming out of the Saints game where Brady was the highest. I think he was the highest. He was among the top top two or three graded quarterbacks in the league um, against two high coverages, against middle of the field open coverages, where last year that was a struggle. I don't even want to say it was a struggle for Brady because it's not like he's never seen it before. It was a struggle within the Bucs offense, whether it was Brady on occasion, more than likely, more than anything, I think it was other guys, but it was a struggle for them. The coverage rotations even threw them off a good bit last year. 
Um, this year, uh, another thing I'd like to emphasize is I just think the wide receivers know where to be way better. Like last year, it just felt like they weren't ready for the ball a lot of the time. The timings were off. A lot of times guys wouldn't sit when they should sit or they keep running when they should. You know, there were just those kind of issues. Dudes not being on the same page. I remember some of the games middle of the season, how many times they were not on the same page with nine routes. And just like everybody was like, oh, Brady's go, what, gone this 0 for 13 stretch with 20 plus air yard passes. And I'm like, show me an inaccurate throw. They just don't know what each other are doing. Like that yeah. was the problem. If you actually looked at the tape, it's not like he's not like missing dudes who are open. Like there were like no examples of that. It was all like they're not even running the same stuff on the same page and the same timing, like that was completely the issue. And this year there's obviously been way less of that. He's around a 50% deep ball passer, which is obviously really, really good, especially when you throw it deep like the, the Bucks do. And so, yeah, it has uh, been a huge improvement in their offense, in my opinion, Paul, that they are able to sort out a lot of those communication issues. It's just helped the efficiency. The yeah. ball's just sitting the ground way less because of that. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up in terms of reading routes after the snap. That the guy who does that the most is, is Chris Godwin in this offense. He has the most option routes, most variable routes. And that's why it's so important to have him. And that's why it's so hard to replace him is because he is very much on the same page with Brady. You see, you see the coverages uh, on tape. So it's, it's pretty common to see a guy screw a route up where it's like, okay, the coverage, the safety rotated and you should have done this, but you did this instead. Mm. Godwin frequently just makes the right decision after right decision and Brady trusts him. And it's hard to get that same timing down with a Tyler Johnson where he's yeah. going to play that position, but he's not getting those reps in practice, not nearly as much. Right. So, right. yeah, I think that's something that's been way better this year. And I think that's going to be challenged now if Godwin has to miss time. Yeah, I mean, he is no question that's an important role in that offense. They don't have a one-to-one type of player to replace somebody like that. I mean, you could say that for Evans and AB too, but the roles are just easier to replicate. Um, so, yeah, it does make a difference, no question. Um, Tyler Johnson has been good, but not elite. He's not Chris Godwin. It's just the reality. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that is an important point that you bring up there. Um, let's talk about uh, another one of the things that you have kind of liked to see this season um, three by one formations and how the Bucks are attacking defenses out of it. When we say that, I mean, we, we mean three receivers to one side of the field and a single receiver isolated on the other side of the field. What are you seeing from those formations and why has it been so successful for the Bucks on tape? Yeah. So this was, this has always been an Arians thing. This isn't new this year at all, but they've just, they're just so good at it that I wrote it down in my list anyway. So what they do so often, it's usually Evans. He's the guy that's most frequently that isolated X receiver mm -hmm. on one side of the field. Now, on the other side, you have three receivers running some sort of concept. And at its most basic, it's typically, okay, if you like the one-on-one -on -one matchup on the isolated side to Evans, if you have single high one-on-one -on -one coverage, okay, let's just go there. If you have zone and you need some sort of concept to beat that zone and that one-on-one -on -one matchup isn't there, okay, let's work to the three side. So it's just really well designed when you have strong players like that. Because not every team has that player where they can just say, hey, if this is one-on-one, -on -one, we're going to him every single time. Not every team has that. Bucks right. obviously do. They can do that with – they put Godwin out there sometimes. They did it against the Saints. They do it with AB sometimes. But usually it's Evans, and he's just so good at that. And then, of course, yeah, the other side, zone-beating concept. Brady's going to read it out better than anyone. He's going to mm -hmm. get one, two, three just so precisely. And it's, it's really well executed, well designed. It's cool to see. Yeah, for sure. They know how to test teams at every level of the field now. And I think that's a big deal too. We'll talk about that in a second, but especially doing it out of those formations. Yeah. I think that that's made a big difference. Uh, even just in terms of scheming guys open when they use those stacked releases and things like that, I think that's how the Sarah Grayson touchdown happened. Everybody just kind of close together. Defensive backs got to condense a little bit and they've got to sort things out in, in a real hurry. And obviously sometimes teams don't uh, and and it ends up with somebody uh, running wide open. So yeah, the scheme is, is much better in that regard. Uh, Josh Q points it out here. Evolution of, of scheme in year two is a big bonus pass and run game showing wrinkles not there last year josh appreciate that five dollar super chat yeah we will get to the run wrinkles is the right word by the way it's, yeah it's it's, it's not, not like overhaul it's just yeah exactly yeah yeah it's wrinkles it's, right it's some some small changes that i feel like are, are gonna are helping this team a lot one of those we'll get to the run game in a second because there's a lot to talk about there one of those though paul is the way that they've attacked in the short passing game to adjust to how i mean think about the eagles game and i know it wasn't their best game um but they attacked the Eagles with so many underneath passes 
because the Eagles are so committed to taking away the deep ball. And it's not totally dissimilar from how the Rams tried to play them last year, but the Bucs just kept forcing it in that game. You know, they forced it once or twice, maybe against the Eagles, but the Rams game was like nine, 10 times. They just could not find the answers in the short to intermediate passing game. They could not find the answers to replace the efficiency. Then coming out of the bye, especially against Atlanta, we saw a lot more bubble screens, a lot more smoke routes, a lot more, just a huge variety in the screen game continued into the playoffs. Uh, we saw a Gronk screen in the playoffs against the Packers that got big yardage. We saw Chris Godwin tunnel screen that got big yardage. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some too. I think there was a Leonard screen against again against Washington for went for like 40 yards. They just that whole aspect of the offense either was horrible. Think of the Saints game. They tried to run a couple screens that were horrible. One got picked off and it was a mess. That whole aspect of the offense was either awful or not utilized hardly at all. Then it felt like after the bye, it was just like like blew up and that was a huge part of how they attack teams yeah i think the eagles example is a good one because like you said they stayed really patient and then when they wanted to gain the chunk yards they did a really good job with just like that rock paper scissors element right i I wrote about how they used dagger four times that game to use a concept four times in one game is quite a bit like it's not Mm -hmm. you don't see that every game um but they're like hey this is the coverage they're playing they're playing cover six cover nine you know these two high coverages Mm -hmm. we're gonna do this and then it wasn't always thrown to the same route, but it was that same concept used over and over again with success. Um, and I think they did a really similar thing against the Rams this year as well, where the Rams, they're sticking in those two high coverages and they're they're matching and defenders are carrying their receivers up the field. So what they would do, and they did this a, a ton against the Rams, is they would have three guys on one side of the field kind of run a vertical route, just completely clear that side of the field out. And then mm-hmm. a guy from the other side would just come on a crossing route underneath wide open. They did this with Evans, with Miller, yep. um, and it just it, it's like, you know, it's it's not insane, like, you know, genius stuff, but it's smart. It's okay, this makes perfect sense, and you're they're changing what they're doing week to week. It's not like, hey, this is what we do. We're going to do this every single week. It's like, hey, what do you do? Okay, how do we beat that? We're just going to keep doing that. Right. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's There's much harder to game plan. I felt like they were more predictable. I think there were even some whispers of it was like, yeah, it's pretty predictable early on last year. And now the scheme is just way more varied, I feel like. And what they do is way more varied. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of success because of that. Let's talk about um, – let's go to the run game in a second. I want to talk about Brady's comfortability, command at the line of scrimmage, movement within within the pocket and outside of the pocket, uh, and, and, and talk about how that – and the relationship to that to the offensive line, as Jim points out here, the offensive line being better this year compared to last year, how much of it is because – uh, Brady helping those guys out. But first, I got to talk about our friends over at Living Golf Life, Paul, because they are doing some awesome stuff at Living Golf Life. They are – look at these polos that they've got going on here. If you're getting out on the course before – this is a great weekend, by the way, to get out on the course. And so if you're getting out there, you got to check out livinggolflife.com, get some of their polos, their hats. Uh, this is the stuff you want to be wearing out on the course. Great stuff to ask for for gifts, too, with the holidays coming up. Uh, great opportunity to do that. You can check out all of their products over at Living Golf Life. Dot com or you could follow them or and or you could follow them at living golf life on instagram as well now uh, to see a lot of that stuff and then of course i would be remiss if i didn't also mention our friends at pinchasers.net pinchasers this is a great place you could take your family out for some bowling great food you heard scott on the show yesterday hopefully emphasizing how good the food is at pinchasers bowling alley uh, and you can see there's a lot of different addresses. they have a couple different locations uh the pewter report bowling league is on the one on armenia avenue um, down in Tampa. And that's where every Wednesday at 6 30 PM. So if you're interested in signing up for that, uh, which they met, I know last night and will again, this upcoming week, and I will at least be there. I th- I'm trying to bring the whole fam out uh, next Wednesday night uh, to pin chasers uh, for some bowling, some food, some fun. Uh, but if you're interested in that email, Matt Matera, Matt at pewterreport.com. Great place, birthday parties, bowling leagues, whatever you're looking for. Great place to take the family, have some fun, have a good night bowling. Uh, get yourself some good food, drinks, things like that. Um, so head on over to Pin Chasers and uh, have a great uh, night out there as well. Um, let's talk about this Brady thing, Paul, because, yeah, he's evolved, right? I mean, his game, it's, it sounds crazy at 44, but playing outside of structure, just a lot of command at the line of scrimmage. What have you seen from him that makes you just even more confident in his abilities this season? Yeah, I think that movement within the pocket that he was so famous for it's back it was mm-hmm. it was gone last year i'd never really seen him be as much of a statue as he was uh just missing those slide steps in the pocket the side mm-hmm. steps stepping up it, it wasn't there 
this year it's back and then some. He's he's doing all that subtle stuff to buy an extra half second in the pocket, and then he's also getting out of the pocket, making throws on the run. It's 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 insane to see. I mean, he said that he was going to get better at this in the off season, or he said it just before the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and it sounded like a joke, but he seriously has done it, and it's pretty crazy. And then obviously it's a it's a symbiotic relationship with the uh, with the offensive line. They have played so well. They communicate so well. Uh, getting everything set pre-snap, getting in the right protections. And then Brady also gets rid of the ball faster than anyone other than Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. He steps up and slides in the pocket so well. So they really just complement each other. And both the quarterback and the offensive line are playing fantastic. One of the most impressive things from the Saints game was, I know there was two two late pressures, got sacks at the end of the game. I, I'm not worried about those. But like throughout the vast majority of that game, it was just dominance by the Bucs offensive line. Um, the Saints try tons of different things it's not even that they blitz a ton they just give you a ton of different looks it's different players coming different players going um different body types lots of games and they they have all these long you know edge rushers that are can play inside too and rush inside over guards i just felt like schematically the bucks weren't really fooled at all by the saints yeah. pressures and there's hardly any teams that could say that i mean the saints are an elite scheme pressure scheme team. They can do it with four, but because they scheme it up really well and they have good one-on-one guys. Um, and the Bucks really handled that extremely well. So yeah, the, the Bucks offensive line, you know, there was a question there, you know, who's, who's the blunt, you know, who's gets the credit Brady or the offensive line. And I don't mind the question. I just hate the whole idea. Like <laughs> there's just no way you can, it's not that simple. Like there are 10 plays where the Bucks offensive line is just elite. And Brady doesn't even have to do any moving in the pocket. You get to point out 100 plays, all the plays from the Miami game, basically. There were hardly any. But then there were two or three plays in the Miami game that, what, he had to make a throw under pressure, the touchdown to Antonio Brown, right? He had to make a throw under pressure or when he was about to get hit because no offensive line is going to protect it perfectly every single snap. So they're a very good unit who is made better by Brady. And Brady is a very good quarterback who is made better by good action. And it just, that is it. Like when yeah. Brady moves on and there's another quarterback who holds the ball for three seconds, every single snap that comes and plays for the box. And all of a sudden they double in sacks. Everybody's going to be like, Oh, Brady made the offensive line. No, not necessarily. Like that, it's right. not that simple. Football is just not that simple in general. There's clearly it's the Bucks offensive line is very good. Clearly Brady is very good. When you put the two together, you get one of the best you know situations in the league. Brady's been sacked. I think, fourth least of any quarterback, despite the fact that the Bucks have more pass attempts than anybody else. It's insane how well they've protected. And yeah, I mean, it's that good now for Tampa Bay, the combination of those two factors. And it's a huge reason why you stay out of a lot of negative down and distances as a result. Yeah. I think Brady has, he always raises the floor of what your offensive line will be. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not, there's no coincidence that he's never had like a bad offensive line for his entire career. And it's because so much of that is, on the quarterback. I remember when he signed with the Bucks, and I was trying to catch up with, with the team, get familiar with the team. And there was a lot of chatter about how the offensive line might not hold up well, which was kind of interesting, but that had to do with Jameis more than the offensive line. Jameis holds right. the ball. takes a long time to, to make, get through his reads. But yeah, like you said, the offensive line is playing. It's, it's definitely both. There, there's no way to just give credit to one, one unit here. Also, I think, uh, uh, it's worth checking out if anyone wants to learn more. Nate Tice did a free uh, post on his Substack. He did a 45-minute video just on the Bucks' offensive line in the Saints game. And it's just this cool breakdown. And I think the thing that really stuck out the most is how much everybody communicates. So usually before the snap, it's the centers calling out protections, uh, and it's the quarterback kind of confirming it or changing it. With the Bucks, as soon as there's any sort of movement, as soon as the protection needs to change, all five guys, they're turning around like, hey, like, you know, we need to go to 5-0. We need to do this. We need to do a half slide, whatever. Every guy is is heady. They're mm-hmm. all looking out for it. It's They're such a cohesive unit. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, that's really neat. Uh, you know, I have to check that out for sure because that I think that's really important, getting the guys on the same page. And we've heard Tristan Wirfs talk about that, right? Like those extra meetings for the running game, how important they've been, everybody understanding what everybody else is doing and everybody being able to communicate on that level has been huge for that unit for sure. And so I think that that is a very important part of all of this and, and it will be an important part of things moving forward. Um, I think last thing we'll touch on in terms of the good side for the Bucks offense is the run scheme, man, to me, I don't even think you necessarily had to run the ball a whole lot better than last year to be back in the Super Bowl, for example, 
but man, it helps. Like <laughs> it doesn't hurt to do yep. anything better. Um, and I think it's clearly better. Like the scheme was the big thing. I ran it and raved to you all off season, right? Like this is such a duo base scheme. They run it split zone and inside zone as they're like changeups. That's yeah. not even that different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just not that I'm a run scheme savant or whatever, but it's just like, okay, this, they run it as a change up because it's simple. Like it's not, there's, you don't have to change a whole lot of stuff to do right. it. Um, so seeing them go out in these games and run something different all the time is crazy to me. I mean, there is dart scheme where they're pulling tackles around the opposite end. There's counter lead, there's counter plays, there's G lead plays, like outside folding. Zone. What's so outside, zone. outside zone is like a big part of what they're doing right now. Obviously yeah. they don't run the ball a lot. It's a total schematic change. And it isn't that they're, they are, they've always been a good blocking group. That's what I don't think people have fully understood. The bucks have always been fine in terms of their offensive line blocking tight ends, blocking question mark, the running back, seeing things question mark the scheme though. That was the big thing. Like it was just solvable. Like it was easy to throw bodies at it defensively and get a good result most of the time. Now they're getting out schemed and the Bucks offensive line is still continuing to play at a high level in terms of blocking. And also when you go away from duo, you take out the tight end is not the most important piece anymore. A lot easier blocks, right? Can't break and get around and count and when they're running counter tray, right. he can get out in space and get in a guy's way and the back can cut off of him. He doesn't have to displace a defensive end at the line of scrimmage like you do in duo. So now all of a sudden they've changed how difficult it is for their worst blocking pieces, right? The tight end, especially without Gronk, worst yep. blocking pieces. Now, no, they're still running duo, but they're, they're changing the, the, what those guys have to do a lot of the time, making it easier. I mean, split zone, the way they ran it against the Bears, like so many times, great concept for when a team doesn't put many people on the second level of their defense. Bears are out there playing with five guys down, playing with one linebacker off the ball, all of a sudden, all they're doing is washing them down. And if they can hold Roquan Smith on the front side with anything, all they do is just need to leave that edge unblocked. They can just leave Donovan Smith out there and he can just stand and get in Roquan Smith's way when he tries to escape over or scrape over. Now all Cam Braid has to do is literally just run across the formation and get in that DN's way. And they can hit that backside, you know, C, B gap, whatever C gap, um, and just cruise. And that's what happened on a couple runs, Rojo and Leonard Fournette. It was just, but that's the kind of stuff like, Last year, they just would have run duo in anything. <laughs> they, yeah. had, they had no chill at all. And now this year, it's just a lot more versatile. Yeah, like you said, like the changeup wasn't last year. The changeup to duo was inside zone. And that's not really a changeup. Like, you know, now where it's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have these inside runs, this inside zone duo. Now we're going to go outside zone. Okay, that actually is a changeup. Like right. you, you have to cover that differently. as Yeah, a team. yeah. And similarly – um, with with all the pullers and with the outside zone, it it allows you to do more stuff in your play action game. They haven't gotten there yet. They haven't really implemented it, but it's an option, and we can look out for it maybe later in the season. And it's just making your making all parts of your offense more diverse. It's not just the run game. It increases the versatility in your pass game too. It's really really cool to see. Right, Terrence. Good question here, and we appreciate the five dollar super chat. Who do you think is behind the run scheme change? I think Byron Leftwich deserves so much credit for a lot of this stuff. And Goodwin for buying in as well um, as the run game coordinator deserves the credit for it. I'm sure this was something they all self-scouted, though. I mean, if you went back to last season and you noticed there were times when teams just didn't even care about the edges. They didn't even care about edge contain. They just twisted guys and, like, hoped the linebacker would scrape and, and, and replace the DN. But because the linebackers were so, you know, the Bucks ran inside so much, they just kind of would get downhill as quickly as possible. So you guys, everybody probably remembers Bucks fans, how many times late in the year, you know, Leonard Fournette made some of his best plays just by literally just bounce outside. LaShawn McCoy against the Vikings. Anybody remember that game? Two runs he had, right? Bounced outside on both of them because there was just nobody there. And so I think they're seeing some of this. And I think you even saw it in the Super Bowl, right? They pulled Ali Marpet and the Chiefs were like totally clear. They didn't, you know, they didn't see it coming at all. And it was like, all right, we're cruising out here because nobody's respecting us as an outside rushing team. And now they've kind of changed things a little bit. And they said, okay, now we can run outside here. The other part is when you're not rolling a safety into the box, and sometimes teams do and sometimes they don't, but when teams aren't rolling a safety into the box, well, where are your linebackers standing? Usually they're standing between the tackles most of the time. And so now when you're playing two high safeties, you have one less second-level player to scrape over, right? Or that second-level player is a third-level player coming from depth to replace on the second level or to fill on the second level. That takes time. Like – so now 
a lot what duo is the easiest thing to defend probably out of those base when you're in base defense or when you have two high safeties because you still have your concentrated attrition of power in the inside but where you lose is at the second level so when you get outside zone going and you don't have another guy to scrape over an outside zone and your linebackers aren't athletic freaks which most teams in the nfls aren't now all of a sudden outside zone is hitting on another level because your safety's got to fill against outside zone and there's trash in front of them. There's blockers, Cam Brace coming around in space. There's just a lot more for the safety to get through. Not many guys are going to make that, hit that angle perfectly on the fly when everything's moving horizontally. Um, and the inside, yeah, your linebackers, all of a sudden, they got to get on their horse and move. And it negates other teams' defensive tackles a lot of the time, which duo runs at those guys and has to displace those guys. So I think it takes away team strengths. It puts emphasis on the linebackers to make plays. Most linebackers in the NFL are bad at football, and so it's just a good scheme. I think it's just a good – it's some of that, Terrence. It's some of that self-scouting and saying, like, man, we can take advantage of some things the teams are giving us right now. And so there's a lot of layers to that. We could probably do a whole pod on the run scheme, to wow, be honest. That was a great breakdown. Oh, awesome. Well, I, I wish we had, like – we can, <laughs> we tried to do video, by the way, for people and a lot of time, and we have to get some software, I think, like some to make it not choppy for you all so you wouldn't be um, – yeah, like frustrated the whole time we were doing it that you couldn't make out what's happening in the play, I think. But um, we will get to that point. That will be something that happens on the Peter Report podcast for sure. No question. Um, okay, now we got to talk about some things that they don't do that well, Paul. Um, that we, uh, that we, unpopular. Yes, it's going to be, it may be unpopular. They're not perfect, but they are doing a lot of, we already mentioned a lot of things that we're really encouraged by. By the way, we're focused on an offense because we think it's the most important unit. Like if your offense is, I mean, right now the Bucks' offense is probably the best in the league. Statistically, they look like the best in the league, certainly in that conversation. And we think they can get even better. Like, we really believe they can do a couple little things and be even better. Like, And then I think it becomes hard for other teams. If that defense can get healthy and back to even average, I think it becomes hard for other teams to keep up. I really do. So we're going to talk about some of those things uh, here in a second. But first, I got to talk about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy because you've got a chance right now to do something incredible. You can double your first deposit at Underdog Fantasy as a first-time user over there with the promo code Pewter. Takes you like 30 seconds to go and start an account. Enter that promo code Pewter. If you want to put in $10, they'll match it. They'll give you $10. Now you've got 20 to play with. You want to put in $50, they'll match it. They'll give you $50. Now you've got $100 to play with. You want to put in $100, they'll match up to $100. So if you want to put in $100 to play with, boom, now they'll match you up to $100. So then you have $200 to play with. It's a great deal over at Underdog Fantasy. There's so many good things to check out at Underdog Fantasy in terms of the games and, and things that they offer. But my favorite personal thing is the uh the player prop bets the over under on player stat lines right now over at underdog fantasy and you can get in on this by the way you can check out what's going on with the bucks for example this sunday and see what's player stat player over unders you can bet on right now tom brady's still the only one up over under 306 and a half passing yards for tom brady they're not putting any other top until we know about Chris Goddard because that'll affect Evans and not Perryman and all these other guys. But you'll see as we get closer to game days, we get into Friday night, Saturday, they'll have a bunch of prop bets to drop over there. So get over there, give your predictions, and yeah, put some money in. And you can, with that promo code Pewter, uh, you can, you'll get a deposit match there, which is definitely worth it. So check out what they're offering over there. Really good stuff with our friends at Underdog Fantasy. Um, okay, let's talk about it, Paul. The number one concern you have with the Bucks offense, you wrote about it this past week. Uh, there's actually two things. They go hand in hand a little bit, I guess. But first down passing, it's just not enough. They're too predictable on first down, and that makes them really predictable on second down too. Yeah, exactly. So I think, first of all, I, it's, I think the common argument in favor of running the ball a lot on early downs is balance, which we can argue about all day. But even let's, okay, let's accept, let's say balance is important, right? The Bucks aren't balanced at all. They, if you look at their early down passing as a whole, like including first and second down, they're one of the more pass heavy teams in the league. But when you break it down by uh, actually separating the downs, it, they become way more predictable. They're one of the one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL on first down. They run it, uh, I think, like 55, 56% of the time. That's more than the Patriots. That's more than the Ravens. More than the, the Vikings. Ravens! Yes, more than the Ravens. Um, like, think about these run-heavy teams, right? The Bucks run it more than them on first, neutral first downs, by the way, which just includes blowouts and two-minute drives. That's all that means. Um, but, yeah, like, 
when they're actually in normal game situations, one of the most run-heavy first-down teams in the league. Second down, by far the most pass-heavy. They pass on – It's like 80 – what, is it 80? 83%, something like that. <laughs> That's and, absurd. Yeah, and second place is the Chiefs at 73%. 10, per, 10 percentage point difference. like and, and and their difference in frequencies from first down and second down is by far the biggest in the league as well. It's like, you know, like 30-something whatever percent that is. No one else is even close to that difference. So, okay, well, why does this matter? Well, the thing is they don't get themselves into good running second downs very often mm-hmm. because they're right. in second and long so often because of their runs on first down. By the way, should, should take this second moment to notice because as a Steelers fan – I see it done poorly all the time. The Steelers are like one of the worst teams in the league at running the ball on second down. I mean, they just second and 15, second and 18, second and 17. Yeah, we'll run it. We'll just willfully waste it down. To yeah. give the Bucks credit, they are the – I think they're the last – They they on second and what is it, seven or more? Or maybe it's ten yeah. or more, I forget. They, just they, they never run the ball. Do. Like, yeah, they'll never – They I think it's like they're literally the bottom of the league. It's not even close. Like, they yeah. are just a guaranteed pass, which is smart, but – how can you avoid those downs so, is what you're saying? Go ahead, continue. Yeah, so like, by the way, and to be clear here, I'm not even necessarily arguing that they need to throw more in general. Right. I just want to see that distribution change. Like, yeah. I would love for them to throw more often on first down so that they can run it more often on second down. Yes. Like, if their total numbers stayed the same, that'd be fine with me. Mm-hmm. But I think they need to, like, first down passing is really important because of how it sets you up on the next downs. Yeah. Um, and, and one last thing I'll say about this is, and I wrote this in the article, it illustrates why it matters. The Eagles, for instance, they are a less efficient team passing the ball than the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like it's not even close. They're a little right. bit better in running the ball, but like not enough to make up the difference. Right. But they're a more efficient first down passing team. Or sorry, they're a more efficient first down team just as a whole. Yeah. Why? Right. Because they pass the ball way more on first down than the Bucks do. So they're worse at passing the ball, but because they do it more, their overall efficiency on first down is higher than the Bucks, And that's yeah. why it matters. Right. And that's so helpful, I think, for fans because they saw the Eagles. They know how bad they are. Like, yeah. they know it firsthand. And yet, the Eagles are actually better at first down right now than the Bucks, who are the best offense in the league. Imagine if the Bucks got as good as the Eagles on first down. That feels like a very attainable goal to me, Paul. Imagine if that happened. Then all of a sudden you were talking about a unit that really can. Get, I mean, they're already leading the league in points per game at 32.5. They can avoid some of these road slumps that they get into. They can avoid some of these games where they don't score as much as they could. They can put up 35, 36, 37 points a game, especially against the competition they have left the season. If they make some of those really important changes, I'll just put it this way too, to talk about what you're one of the biggest reasons for offensive success isn't always because your players are just better than the other team's players. There's games like that for sure. The Bucks obviously win that way a good bit, and they put themselves in bad situations and still win. Um, we've seen a ton of it this season. They haven't played a ton of good teams, and when they have played good teams, it does get a little bit tougher. You know, it's still not, wouldn't say overwhelmingly tough, but you know, they lost two games against teams with winning records, and so that's where some of this stuff matters, right? Like, yeah, you might be able to screw this up against Washington this week and still win. Like, you might be able to do that. Um, but when push comes to shove and you get in the in the in the big games, right? Like the Super Bowl and in the in the playoff games, yo, know, that's what we were so worried about last year, right? Then they changed some of this stuff up. Two of the most, we'll talk about play action in a second. Two of the most heavy play action games for the Bucks last year were Washington in the wild card game, Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Up tempo. They went up tempo. I wouldn't say they went up tempo in the Super Bowl. They they got to they got out of the huddle, snapped the ball quickly at the line of scrimmage. They played faster from that perspective. So they couldn't set up blitzes and things like that. Um those details will matter against top teams. They didn't have those in the regular season last year. They had them in the playoffs. Big reason why they won. They haven't. They've showed some of those. Obviously, we talked about some of those that they've shown this year. But this is one area where they haven't adjusted yet, and they're still winning football games. And they might be able to, you know, go fourteen and three doing it. But when it comes to the playoffs, yeah, I think it's going to be really important for them to get this right. If you're in second and six, second and seven, second and eight for sure. Obviously, second and nine and ten, you're throwing the football. If you're yeah. the Bucs. I mean, second and six, probably, almost definitely. If you're the Bucs, basically, certainly, from based on the information you just gave us. If you're any team, though, probably throwing the football. Like, probably. If you're in second and five, second and four, <laughs> second and three, okay. We don't think much of a seven-yard pass, Paul. Like, that doesn't – five to seven-yard passes, they, we don't think much of them. But if they happen on first down, they change everything, right? Oh, yeah. Second and four, second and three, anything. You can run anything. Yeah. And so a defense – they don't know how to line up. They don't know what coverage. Like 
it's not that they don't know, they but they can't feel confident that what they've called they addresses what you're about to call. You can make the defense always wrong, basically. Yeah. Okay, they're playing second and three. They're playing the run. Okay, we'll pass. They're playing the pass. Okay, we'll run. Whereas in second and nine, you can't really make them wrong that way because they're going to play yeah. the pass. And if you decide to run, well, okay, that's a bad decision by you more than anything. You're playing right. into their hands. And yeah, like the, the main, the other reason why this matters is the Bucks end up in a ton of third downs. Yes, they're good at third downs, but third down success is highly volatile game to game. And even a good, even a great third down team can have a really bad third down game and suddenly you yep. lose because of that. And then everyone looks at third downs as the reason they lost. But really, it's, hey, let's go back to first down. Why did we get into these third downs? And yep. the one last point on this is, yeah, there's such a great offense already in the league. And the reason we're still talking about this is because this can be not just one of the great offenses in the league. They can be one of the great offenses ever. Just period. Oh, yeah. Like they I have that, that's their ceiling. And it's right. just a few small things that they can easily change. Like this is a much easier change than implementing new run schemes, for instance. Oh, yeah. 100%. So just a couple of simple things that can really take them over the edge. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm looking up a stat right now, but Hezo brings up a great point here. The Bucks have the blueprint for why this matters because it's what every team does to them every single week. Everybody throws against the Bucs on every down, right? Including first down because it works. Like the Bucs have the highest neutral pass rate against them in the league. They've played crummy offenses for the most part. When they've played great offenses, obviously their defense was last in the NFL against the pass of, of those first three games. Obviously it, 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 they had some injuries, but it hurt them because teams were doing smart things. Teams that were less talented than the Bucs were doing smart things and saying, we're not going to waste running first down against you. If we get in second and short, if we get in second and three or four when you're unpre- when it's unpredictable, we'll do. Yeah, but guess what? If you put if you play base defense against our 11, uh, 11 personnel on second and three or four, we're going to throw the ball again against you on second down. So yeah. it doesn't automatically put you in a run situation on second down. It just gives you way more options. Whereas if you're in second and nine, they're obviously going to play nickel and you're probably going to have three receivers out there and you're going to fight your tight end. And it just changes everything in terms of the predictability of what your offense is going to be able to do because the Bucks lose first down as a defense so often and give up pass plays as a defense. So often on first down teams are always in second or a lot often in second and third and manageable against the Bucks. way worse offenses have success way worse offenses. Trevor Simeon comes to mind having success, moving the football against you enough success, moving the football against you, um, just because they're smart about their play distribution against the Bucks, anyway. Yeah, it's and it's a funny thing because last year so much of that run frequency I think came because of scheme where the Bucks are really like loading the box defensively and doing all this single high stuff. And this year they're not even really doing that. They're playing way more too high. But because the Bucks are so good against the run, it's almost working against them. Just they're good against the run no matter what coverage they're playing. Yeah. And teams are like, okay, fine, we're just gonna pass and. And it's working. And you see why. And exactly to Hezo's point, like, you know, just come on, guys, connect the dots. You can do it. Mm-hmm. They're right. yeah. It's all in front of you. <laughs> right, right. Exactly right. And guess what? If teams start, like, coming out and dime against you on first down, sure. Like, okay, we'll, we'll, yeah. it's not saying never run on first down, but it's saying you can't be as they're just so heavy run in first down, so heavy pass on second down. It's predictable and better defenses will find a way. And it makes life harder for your quarterback. It just does. You know they're passing on second down. We're talking about coverages and how they play in coverages. That makes it harder. But pressure, too. Like It it makes it easy to scheme that up without fear of it being a backlash against you or without fear of one of your games getting stuck and they're actually running the ball and you've got guys out of their gaps. You're not worried about that. And you already don't have a mobile quarterback, so you're not that worried about that either. So it's just ways you can make life easier for Brady. Obviously, he's balling out anyway because he's the GOAT, but that they can make life easier for him in that way. The other big way is play action, right? And this ties into what we're talking about. If all of a sudden you're a team that you know runs the ball, like you said, Lee High around Lee High rate at first down, all of a sudden you start going play action all the time. You know, you and I know you don't have to run the ball well to be able to do play action. But when everybody's already thinking you're running the ball on first down, yeah, they're gonna start teeing off and all of a sudden you're throwing it over their heads. It it it, it can be married to this change really easily. And we just the Bucs still aren't doing play action enough. Yeah, exactly. So you would expect, given that the Bucs are a run-heavy team on first down, that they'd be one of the highest play-action teams on first down. And it's not the case. They, they're they actually still amongst the bottom third on just first down in terms of play-action. For point of reference, like I said, the Ravens run the ball less on first down than the Bucs. And the Ravens lead the league with play-action on first down, running it on 53% of their passes on first down. 53% of their first down passes are play-action. Like, unbelievable. And... And they're not as good at it as the Bucs are. Like, the, I, if I remember correctly from 
from SIS's numbers, uh, their efficiency numbers has has Brady as the most efficient quarterback with play action. Mm-hmm. He's averaging 9.3 yards per attempt with play action compared to 7.3 yards per attempt without play action. That's that's a huge yeah, difference. Huge difference. Yeah, both and, are good, but the play action is better. You know, is even better. Right, and if you look at across all downs. The Bucks only use play action on 19% of their passes, which is 30th in the league. 30th. Like, it's yeah. just – it's insane how much better they are when they use it. And, okay, I don't necessarily think that their efficiency will go down if they use it more. But even if you want to argue that, it's not going to go down nearly that much, even right. if you start using it a ton more. And like you said, they used it a ton against the, the football team. They used it a ton against the Chiefs, and yeah. it worked brilliantly in both games. Right. That's, That's what's cool. so weird. They know it works. Why yeah. don't they do it more? I mean, yeah, I, I know that they're good anyway, but it's still, uh, you know, I, maybe that's part of it. Maybe last year they got to that desperation point where they didn't feel like they were good enough going to the buy. And so it was like, all right, we're going to do this. But then if that thing works, why not just keep doing that thing? I, it's, it's weird to me that they aren't more reliant on it. It's weird to me that they feel like they always have to pair it with trap passes and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't always have to be that way. You can just run straight play action and protect yeah. regular. And, you know, you don't have to, make it a song and dance. Um, they are terrific at creating passing options out of play action. I mean, last year, Brady was the best quarterback in the league when you looked at differential between play action and regular dropbacks. He was he was good in both, obviously, but he was even – I think it was even more significant than this year. I think he was like plus 3.1 yards per attempt. Oh. It was like way better than everybody else in the league, if I'm recalling correctly, um, last year off play action. And they were running it at a, at, a, at a rate near the bottom of the league. And they won the Super Bowl anyway. So here's what we're saying. We're not saying if you don't change these things, it's impossible to be successful. I mean, the Saints not run, they are running more play action this year, I guess. But they didn't run play action for a lot of years. And obviously, Steph had one of the best offenses in the league anyway. So, you know, there, there's we get it. It does. We're not saying it's a cure-all. But, man, it helps make life a lot easier. And we've already seen how dominant they can be when they do it more. So yeah, this is just an area where I wish that they, I wish they used it more. And honestly, I wish Brady probably pushed for it more because I, I think they would do it more if he pushed for it more. I think he's comfortable with it. I, I, I don't know if he's like going in and saying we need to do this, you know, thirty like Terrence suggests here, thirty five percent of the time. I don't know if that's yeah. happening. Yeah, I mean, and New England always used a ton of play action. You think about those in breakers, you know, just over the middle type of routes. I mean, and we've seen the Bucks diversify a little bit. They're using more of those drift concepts that McVay and Shanahan love so much, but they're just not using it enough. And to answer Terrence's question, in my opinion, they'd be one of the best offenses ever if they became, you know, a more pass-heavy first-down team and just more play action across the board, especially if they went into the 30s, like one of the yeah. league-high teams like that. I think we're talking about, like, top three, top five offense ever. Like, realistically. I, I mean, people might laugh, but especially if people are healthy, which obviously isn't the case yes, right now. And, and yeah. So maybe none of those things happen because of that, but I mean, you're, you're not lying, man. Like that they they're literally leading the league pretty much across the board in categories that matter offensively or in the top five, at least across yeah. the board. And they're making it hard on themselves and they're still yeah. they're saying one of the best. Right. And they're, and they're doing things that literally studies from 20, 25 years worth of data show us are not the most efficient way to do things. And they're still being successful. You know, Am I worried about that when they play better teams and in the playoffs and some of the dudes the Rams have? Yeah, like Rams four-man pass rush with some of those while waiting for guys to uncover with Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald coming after you. Yeah, like that's definitely – I'm a little bit worried about that. But yeah, um, they have a huge, super high ceiling if they can make some of these kind of simple adjustments. Um, I want to talk about one more thing here. Well, maybe two more things real quick that I want to touch on because I don't think they're huge deals, but I think that they're – I think they're big enough deals maybe to mention here um, a little bit. We've talked about the AB thing, like how he needs to play more when he's healthy. We'll revisit that once he gets back in the lineup for sure. Um, I want to talk about two more things, but before I do, I want to mention our friends at Whiskey Wings because this is the place to go. If you're looking for a place to watch college football this weekend, watch all the games. There's also some great NBA games, by the way, just shouting that out there as an NBA guy. Um, but yeah, you could Whiskey Wings is the place to do it, man. Whiskey Wings and Temple Terrace, Sports Bar and Grill. You can see that buffalo chicken sandwich on the screen. That thing is massive and it tastes unbelievable as well. Uh, you could head on over to whiskeywings.com, check out their specials they got going on. Uh, I think Wednesday nights they got like a great wing night going on. I know that's a big deal for probably a large portion of our audience, uh, wing nights like that. So check out what they got going on there. They got a combo wing night, I think, going on. Uh, I got sometime. You can, in fact, you can go over to Pin Chasers Bowling League uh, and go up over to Whiskey Wings. 
and get get yourself some of the some of the wings after you're done bowling. I think that might be the way to do it on Wednesday nights. Uh, but Whiskey Wings Temple Terrace, they got great food, great drinks, great atmosphere, indoor outdoor bar, tons of screens, great place to watch the games this weekend. So head on over to Whiskey Wings Temple Terrace and sell tell them that Pewter Report sent you uh, their way. Last thing I want to talk about real quick, Paul. I just want to touch on these things. Fourth down decision making. It's not good analytically. The Bucs are one of the worst teams in the league analytically in terms of going for it when they should on downs. I don't feel like there's been a lot of agree in my mind. I don't think there's been a lot of egregious situations where I've been like, wow, cost them like huge chance to win by making that decision there. And I think part of the process has been, and you you say what you think, you don't have to agree with me. Part of the thinking to my mind has been our offense is elite. We're going to get another chance. Our defense is, is hurting and struggling, and we don't want to give a weak quarterback, which is a lot of what they face this season, a short field to work with and get that other team you know, moving in the right direction, basically, with a mistake on a fourth down play. That's my thought process. I'm not saying it's right necessarily. I'm saying I get it more than I get like Sean McVay kicking field goals on fourth and one inside the 10. Like That stuff can't fly, but I don't feel like the Bucs have done a lot of that. Yeah, you know, I, I – it's something I would like to see be better. And I don't know what the thought process is because it's yeah. like with that kind of logic, you can argue it both ways. Like no matter what you, you can easily, easily use that to go the other way as well. Right. Like yeah. our offense is elite. Our defense is okay. Let's be more aggressive. Let's get points. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think like there's a ton of egregious stuff out there. There have been a few instances where I've been like, okay, this is clearly a go for it situation, but none of them have been so bad that I remember them now. Right. So, yeah, like this would be something that makes them a little bit better. But compared to something like play action, I don't think this moves the needle nearly as much. Right. Agreed. The hope is you just stay out of those situations more than often than not because you're so good at on the other three downs. Here's the one thing that I'll say before we move on. It's not a good process, though, even though the results haven't come in like bad spots, in my opinion, or decisions haven't come in real bad spots. The gut instinct process isn't the best one, and that's the process we know that they follow on fourth downs. Not maybe not the rest of it, but fourth downs, they follow that process. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just saying, when you follow a process like that, it could come back to bite you at a bad time. Um, the other, the last thing is just more up tempo. We haven't really seen them go with hardly any up tempo, no huddle, quick stuff. We saw it in the preseason. Boom, right down the field. Um, we haven't seen a ton of it in the regular season, and I really would like to see that over the second half of the year. I, I think you've found some information that shows that most teams are better when they go to it. Yeah. Uh, I haven't looked at it recently, but I've, I know I've seen this before. A lot of people have looked this up where teams are just generally more efficient and no huddle. Uh, even if you're filtering out prevent defense type situations. Um, and a big reason that teams go no huddle is because it, it makes it harder for the defense to communicate. They still have ways to do exotic stuff, but it's another hurdle for them. And, and mm-hmm. they, the tendency is to become more vanilla. So we saw the Patriots do this all the time where they would go no huddle. They would like their personnel matchup. Say if they have, you know, if they're in 12 and the defense matches in base, okay, we're going to make you keep your base defense out there and our two tight ends can catch. And the Bucks obviously yeah. have the same situation. Um, and now we're going to go no huddle and we're going to let Brady just call the plays at the line because he's that good. Mm-hmm. He's going to be able to diagnose it. The defense is, he knows what the defense is going to do. They're going to go to their most common coverage. He knows how to beat it. He can call all the plays simple just get down the field yeah i mean it'd be cool if they could add this and last year i get it you know brady barely knew what he was doing offensively in terms of terminology this year it really seems like he has command of the offense and if they wanted to they could do it yeah it would be interesting to see it happen for sure right now with some of the injuries it might be a little trickier than normal but still guys that have been around enough other than perryman maybe i mean he's been around here before but it might be a lot this week but Yeah, down the road, last month, the the regular season in January, I'd like to see it uh, for sure. Harbinger, I hear a kid screaming in the background. Sorry, Harbinger, that's my youngest daughter. She is sick, actually, so she is – it's been a tough day for her or whatever. So uh, say say a little prayer for Harper and get a chance. He's not having the best day uh, today, so sometimes you'll occasionally hear her crying in the background there. Tony says, John and I are the only uh, NBA guys in Florida. Yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> That's been <laughs> mostly my experience. Uh, Paul, Paul's an NBA. He gets into it a little bit, but up in Canada, obviously. So, yeah, um, good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, thanks, Terrence. Appreciate that. Uh, Saying, hope she feels better. Appreciate you all. This has been a great week of shows. So, we've, we've, we did it. We, we crushed the bye week. I think there's a lot of great content. If you're looking for stuff over the weekend, go back and watch a lot of these shows. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that, uh, you can get into and really enjoy. And then, of course, Paul and I are going to be back. If you like hearing us go at it like this, we do it. 
on the on the pewter game day show we're real excited about it but uh we're gonna have the pewter pregame show going at noon this week and then we'll have the pewter game day show at 1 p.m when the bucks in washington kick off we're gonna be right there with you the whole way we'll send out the link and you'll see it all, all over the place um obviously if you've subscribed to us on youtube you'll get notified when we go live and we'll be out there for the whole bucks washington game we'll be go breaking everything down watching the game with you breaking it down x's and o's scheme stuff player evaluation we'll bring it all on sunday we're excited for it and then obviously the post game podcast will be Sunday evening, we'll have that for you as well with the whole Peter Report gang breaking down uh, Washington against Tampa Bay. So appreciate y'all. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Peter Report podcast. Out.